0: Welcome to episode 94 of the FredCast Cycling Podcast for the week of March 24th, 2008. My name is David, and I'm a Fred. On this week's episode of the FredCast, the Landis case wraps in New York. Astana's out, but Slipstream Chipotle is in. Traffic school for cyclists and don't bike naked in Serbia. Following the news, an interview with Rick Smith, the creator of the Yehuda Moon Cycling Comic, a product review of PDA GPS units, an upcoming event, and pot-safe Cycling Music. So sit back, relax, and if you're riding your bike camera just a little bit harder, because here comes the Fredcast. This week's episode of the Fredcast is sponsored by listeners like you. Thanks so much for your donation, and thanks for clicking those links at www.thefredcast.com. Your donations and the small amount of money that we get from those merchants on our website go to support everything that we do here at The Fredcast, and I appreciate your support. Thanks so much for your donations and for those clicks. Welcome back to the Fredcast. It's great to have you here with me. This is David, and welcome into the show. Hey, by the way, in case you're wondering, I did record another episode of The Spokesman earlier this morning. Go ahead and check it out. That's at wwwthe Dot com also wanted to remind you about two other things we're working on. Actually, three other things we're working on here at the Fredcast. Number one is our upcoming Fredcast tour. As many of you know, we are going to be riding from Salzburg, Austria to Venice, Italy, and that's taking place June 25th through July 4th. It's a really reasonably priced trip, especially when you consider the value of the dollar this year and the fact that a lot of people are canceling their trips to Europe because of the cost of the dollar. But we've got a really great trip planned for you, and we hope that you will sign up. I'm going to be honest with you. If we don't get a couple more people signed up for this trip, well, it simply is not going to go. And that really would be a shame for those of you who are already interested in going and uh, for those of you who listen to the show, because we're going to be doing some podcasting from Europe and giving you a really good idea, both in audio and in video, of what it's like to ride this route through the Dolomites. So if you are interested, please go to fredcasttours.com or shoot me an email at thefredcast at gmail.com. I will send you all the details. Let's get some more folks signed up so this trip can go. Okay, item number two I wanted to tell you about is our 100th episode contest and giveaway. Uh, For those of you who subscribe to the Fredcast Feed Zone e-newsletter, you already know about this, but here's the deal. Now, I've already produced between The Daily Tour, The Spokesman, The Fredcast, and special episodes of The Fredcast, well in excess of 150 podcast episodes, but we are coming up on our 100th regular episode of the FredCast. And I really want to commemorate that in a great way. And I want to do it by giving back to you, the FredCast community. So here's the deal. We are working with a number of suppliers in the bike industry to provide you with some great product giveaways. And all you need to do to become eligible is to grab a picture postcard From the city, town, region, whatever, wherever you live, something interesting. And on that picture postcard, I need your name, your address, your evening phone number, and your email address. Only one entry per person, please. Send that to the Fredcast Cycling Podcast, 6300 North Sagewood Drive, Suite H-461, and that's in Park City, Utah, 84098 and don't worry if you didn't write that down it's on the website as well just go to the website at the top of the page there's a little link that says contest you will find the information I've just given you and all of the official legal rules for the contest send in your postcards they need to be here prior to the release of show number 99 this is show number 94 so you've got a couple of weeks to get your postcards in send me your postcards The odds of winning, of course, will depend on the number of postcards I receive as well as the number of prizes that we finally get from all of the suppliers. But I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, Perhaps we'll scan the postcards and put them on the website or do something really fun with the cards so you can get an idea of what your other Fredcast listeners have sent in. But send me those postcards and you'll have a chance of winning one of the great prizes. And finally, the last thing I wanted to tell you about, this other special thing we're working on here at the Fredcast Well, why don't you take a listen to this? Movement. Something as simple as riding a bike. Multiple sclerosis stops people from moving. Bike MS raises money to fund cutting edge research and
1: provide programs and services to help people with MS and their families move their lives forward.
0: And every year, we ride farther and push harder to move us closer to a cure. And that's where you come in. An unforgettable ride, an unbeatable destination bike to create a world free of MS. Join the movement. That's right. I told you before that we are starting a national Team Fredcast for Bike MS events around the country. There are more than 100 Bike MS events, and as of right now, we have four team fredcast teams around the country we've got one in florida for the zimmerman ms bike presented by wachovia may 3rd the 4th i've done that ride it goes from miami to key largo and back it's a lot of fun Um, But watch out for Florida's version of mountains. It's called High Winds. We had them uh, both directions last time I did it, right in my face. It made for a hard ride, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, We've also got one right here in Utah. It's Harmon's Best Damn Bike Ride, June 28th through 29th. Another great ride. One up in Idaho in Coeur d'Alene. That's the Coeur d'Alene Bike MS, September 6th through the 7th. And in California, one of the best. Bike MS Rides, Waves to Wine, September 13th through 14th. I've got a link at the fredcast again at the top of the page just click on team and that will take you to a link for each of these teams that you can sign up or give you a little bit of information about how you can captain a bike ms team in your neighborhood you're gonna go out and do those charity rides anyway why not do it with your fellow fredcast listeners we're working right now on jersey sponsors so that everybody can be wearing team fredcast jerseys so stay tuned sign up for a Bike MS, sign up as a team captain, join the movement, and together we can bike to finish MS. Okay, that's it for announcements. Let's get to the news, and there is a bit to get to today, plus some great features. First of all, starting the news is the fact that the Court of Arbitration for Sport has now announced that the Floyd Landis final appeal ended today, Monday, March the 24th, that they are now looking for post-hearing submissions from the lawyers on each side, and that those are due by April the 18th. And we are now looking for a final decision in the Floyd Landis doping case in June of this year. We talked about this a little bit on The Spokesman today, um, just sort of hypothetically wondering if Floyd were found not guilty, uh, what effect that would have. Would he be signed by a team? Are there any teams that might be interested in hiring Floyd Landis? Uh, Would Floyd be able to get back into shape to get into competitive form again? Um, And what the fan reaction would be, and uh, we posited whether this would be a little bit like, uh, in some ways, the O.J. Simpson case, where Simpson was found not guilty by a court of law, but the court of public opinion still believes uh, predominantly that O.J. Simpson was guilty and what effect this might have on Floyd Landis. I guess we'll find out in June. Uh, Between now and then, I don't think we'll be hearing quite a lot from this case. But of course, I will keep you posted. We've been following this since the very beginning. And the final chapter, at least of the doping case, will be written in just three months. Another story I've been covering since the very beginning, and it even just happened a couple of weeks ago. You'll recall the case in Cupertino, California, where a Santa Clara County Sheriff's deputy apparently, allegedly, fell asleep at the wheel, slammed into three cyclists, killing two, severely injuring a third. One of those cyclists is Christy Goff, somebody who their, their her friends described as an Olympic hopeful well, Christie's mother has been struggling with how she will pay the medical bill. She was quoted in a newspaper as saying, I just received the bill from the helicopter Life Flight, and I'm afraid the total medical bill will be near $10,000 or more. Christie couldn't afford insurance. I don't know how much this whole thing will cost. I've never buried anyone before. Well, the Sheriff of Santa Clara County, Lori Smith, gave what's been described as a tearful interview to the San Jose Mercury News and accepted responsibility for the crash, for the actions of Sheriff's Deputy James Tommy Council. In accepting responsibility, the Sheriff's Department has now also gotten in contact with Christie's mother and let her know that they will be paying all of the expenses in regards to the medical bills as well as the funeral bills as well. And I'm sure that that comes as at least welcome news, although, of course, it certainly is little solace for the mother of someone killed whose life was cut short so senselessly. I think that there's probably more coming in this case, possibility of lawsuits perhaps. Um, But in the meantime, uh, if you are interested in donating uh, to help those who have been affected by this, Third Pillar Racing has set up a memorial fund for Christie. and I've put a link in the show notes to where you can find that. So if you are so inclined, you can also donate to try to help out. Well, as I told you last week, the Tour de France did indeed announce their invitees to the 2008 Big Dance And it's bad news for those of you hoping for an Astana invite and the chance for Alberto Contador to defend last year's yellow jersey and for Levi Leipheimer to defend or perhaps do better than last year's third-place finish. Astana is not invited to the 2008 Tour de France. However, on the bright side, for those of you in the United States... Team Slipstream Chipotle has been invited as a wild card to the 2008 Tour de France. I, well, I sort of mused in a, in a Twitter, finally, good Mexican food comes to Paris because Chipotle is good Mexican food, and I've tried the Mexican food in Paris, and it, it is not good. Anyway, here is a complete list of those who have been invited in alphabetical order to the 2008 Tour de France AG2R, agri to bell Barlow World, Puig Telecom, Cast Aparnia, Cofidis, Credit Agricole, Team CSC, Euskaltel-Euskadi, Française des Jeux, Gerolsteiner, Lamprey, Liquigas, Milram, Quickstep, Rabobank, Saunier Duval, Silence-Lotto, Slipstream Chipotle and Team High Road. Those are the teams that you'll be following in the 2008 Tour de France, but I have heard from a lot of you who have told me, sorry, no Astana, no watch. We'll see what happens when July comes around. And while teams like Slipstream Chipotle are invited to the Tour de France, another American team is not real happy about where it has not been invited, and that's Rock Racing. The Tour of Georgia announced their team invites earlier this week. Included on that list are Astana, Sonia Duval, Team CSC, Team High Road, Team Gerolsteiner, BMC Racing, Slipstream Chipotle, Bissell Pro Cycling, Healthnet presented by Maxxis, Jelly Belly Cycling, Jittery Joe's Professional Cycling Team, Symmetric Cycling, Team Type 1, Toyota United, and GE Marco Polo presented by Trek. Again, Rock Racing not invited and team owner Michael Ball apparently not very happy about it Jim Burrell from Metalist Sports and the Tour of Georgia pretty much described that there was a bit of displeasure with, well, just with all of the entourage and the podium girls and the just everything that went on at the Tour of California. And they just didn't feel that Rock Racing fit in with this year's Tour of Georgia. Meanwhile, Rock Racing has another issue in that celebrated cyclist and the one who returned from retirement and did so well at this year's Tour of California, Mario Cipollini, has now split with Rock Racing, and the contract has now become null and void. No telling whether or not Cipo will wind up on another team. So far, he hasn't, but he is no longer with Rock Racing. Furthermore, it is now also rumored that Belgian cyclist, well, retired Belgian cyclist, Axel Merckx, son of famed Tour de France and professional cyclist Eddie Merckx, it is now rumored that Axel may soon become the team director for Rock Racing. So Rock Racing in a bit of turmoil at the moment. Uh, Do know from uh, sources that they did show up at a local criterium in Los Angeles recently, and we shall see where this team goes. I do have a link in the show notes to where you can find the Rock Racing website to learn more about this controversial team. And to round out our professional cycling news, there was word late last week that the UCI has decided that they are going to take former WADA chairman, that's the World Anti-Doping Agency, Dick Pound, to court. They are suing him for what they called, quote, continual injurious and biased comments against the UCI and against its president, Hein Verbruggen. Now, the UCI released a statement on Thursday saying that they were going to be suing uh, Dick Pound before Swiss courts. And they said, quote, on many occasions, Mr. Pound has publicly questioned the extent of the UCI's efforts in the fight against doping. I don't know about you, but I I know that there have been barbs that have gone back and forth between Pat McQuaid and Dick Pound in the past. So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see if there was a countersuit filed by Dick Pound. I think that honestly though that this is a bit silly this is my personal opinion this is just commentary folks uh, so that neither UCI nor uh, WADA nor Dick Pound decide to sue me but you know I think that this is really a bit silly cycling professional cycling has some very serious issues to deal with and some real reputation problems at the moment this is the last thing we need Moving along in the news, I do have a product recall to tell you about this one coming from Nissan and Infiniti Motors, and it concerns about 500 hitch-mounted bike racks that were manufactured by Thule, and these were Nissan Infiniti part number 999R5-AR000. Again, they were manufactured by Thule and sold at both Nissan and Infiniti dealerships before December 21st 2007. Thule has determined that a pinch point exists on the bike rack that could cause a serious hand injury. Now, Nissan and Infiniti are both attempting to identify and alert affected customers. Nissan customers can contact Nissan Consumer Affairs at 1-800-NISSAN-1 to receive a free retrofit kit and installation instructions, Infinity customers can contact Infinity Consumer Affairs at 1-800-662-6200. Also, Thule has set up a dedicated recall hotline at 1-800-848-5391. And for those of you planning on a trip to Hawaii in the near future, specifically the island of Maui, I regret to tell you that the moratorium on downhill bike rides on Haleakala Crater has been extended. Now, the moratorium on commercial downhill bike rides, and there's five bike tour companies involved here, has been extended at Haleakala National Park. The Park Service says that the stand down will remain in effect because they are still working on a full evaluation of all the impacts from the activity in the park's commercial services plan. As I told you way back in October 2007, this stand down began as a result of a bike tour fatality. Now, the tour companies will be allowed to conduct van tours while they continue the National Park Service evaluation, but from all that I've read, these tour companies are losing money hand over fist as a result of this stand down And there seems to be no end in sight. Hey, the last couple of weeks we've been talking about, uh, well, cyclists running red lights and stop signs and things like that. Well, if you are ticketed for doing one of those things in the city of Santa Cruz, California, you now have the opportunity to ensure that instead of paying a fine or getting points on your driver's license, instead you can take traffic school just like the motorists. Here's the way it works. Bicyclists ticketed for cruising through a stop sign or other violations can now avoid a hefty fine in Santa Cruz by attending a special traffic school designed just for those who pedal, instead of motoring. The two-hour class costs $35 and is patterned after traffic school for motorists. It allows you to escape a ticket costing up to $200. And it sort of makes sense that they're allowing them to do this because the state law in California says that cyclists have to follow the same rules as motorists. So it would seem that if motorists can get out of a ticket by taking traffic school, cyclists should be able to do the same thing. And now in Santa Cruz, you can. Okay, file this next story under your government hard at work. This is the Minnesota House of Representatives Bill Number 3849, as introduced into the 85th legislative session for 2007-2008. This is a bill for an act relating to alcoholic beverages, specifically permitting passengers on a multi-passenger bicycle to consume. Okay, right about now you're saying, say what? allow me to read a little bit from the bill. First of all, the bill says, this section does not prohibit the possession or consumption of alcoholic beverages by passengers in. And here are some of the examples that are already existing in the law. A bus that is operated by a motor carrier of passengers. Okay, that makes sense. You're allowed to sit on a bus and drink a beer or consume an alcoholic beverage. Uh, A vehicle providing limousine service. Yeah, certainly you've certainly seen that before. People get into a limousine, maybe they're drinking some champagne, something like that. But here's the new part. A vehicle that is operated for commercial purposes in a manner similar to a bicycle with three or more passengers who provide pedal power to the drivetrain of the vehicle. Okay. So once again, you're probably saying, say what? A three or more passenger bike and we're going to let people drink? Well, here's the way it looks. And I've got a link in the show notes to both the Minnesota House of Representatives bill as well as to the company that created this multi-passenger bicycle, as it's called, and also to a video of one of these things driving down the road. Here's the way it looks. It looks like a rolling bar. And as the bar travels down the street, the folks sitting at the bar stools, and they're sitting sort of perpendicular to the direction of travel, they're pedaling. And of course, there's a bartender behind the bar who's serving drinks to them. Now, I have no idea who steers this thing, and hopefully the person who steers it is not the person who drinks. This is about the goofiest thing I've ever seen, but at the same time, looks like something that in college would have been a whole lot of fun. So I guess I can understand why... Well, wait a minute. Why is the Minnesota House of Representatives taking up this bill? Don't they have more important things to deal with? Like, oh, I don't know, bridges that fall down? But, okay, be that as it may, this does look like a lot of fun. As long as the person who's steering the bike uh, hasn't been imbibing, I suppose I'm in favor of it. I just can't imagine sitting on one of these bar stools in your typical Minneapolis winter and enjoying a drink. That does not sound like fun to me. And finally, file this one under things to remember not to do when in Serbia. Two Austrians and a German were fined for cycling naked. That's right, cycling naked along the banks of the River Danube in Serbia, where a heat wave has sent temperatures soaring. According to police spokesperson Stefan Kricic. Police arrived after being alerted by passers-by in the northern city of Novi Sad. Temperatures in Serbia and other parts of the Balkans have hovered stubbornly for the past week at around 40 degrees centigrade. That's hot. The three men were brought to a magistrate on charges of disrupting public peace and order and were fined 10,000 dinars, which, according to my calculations, is about $187. Keep your clothes on, folks. And save your money. And with that revealing story, we're done with the news for this week's episode of the Fredcast. For the past several months, I and a lot of other cyclists have been enjoying a new comic strip, which is available on the web, and it's called Yehuda Moon and the Kickstand Cyclery. Well, I was enjoying it so much that I sent an email. To the creator rick smith and asked him if he would be willing to come on the fredcast and do an interview about the strip because i had so many questions i figured that you did as well now if you haven't heard of yehuda moon go to www.yehudamoon.com that's y-e-h-u-d-a-m-o-o-n.com take a look at uh, just a couple of the comics that are on there get a feel for Yehuda Moon, then sit back and enjoy the interview I did earlier this evening with a delightful comic strip author, Rick Smith. Well, I am really pleased to have the opportunity this evening to be interviewing Rick Smith. Rick is the creator of Yehuda Moon, which is a daily comic strip about, well, Rick, why don't you tell us what Yehuda Moon is about?
2: Well, I guess it's uh, probably uh, best described as a, a, a bicycle comic. It's a, a comic about bicycling, bicycles, advocacy, uh, running a, a bicycle shop, etc. Uh, it features uh, two characters, both of whom work in a shop and, um, and both uh, who use their bikes to get around.
0: So tell me about the two characters. I mean, I'm familiar. I've been reading it for a long time. But, but tell me about Yehuda and about Joe. Who are they?
2: All right um I think they they probably um represent two uh two probably major groups of in the bicycling world. Yehut is more of the utilitarian transportation based cyclist uh more of the wool and steel crowd and um Joe's more of the recreational uh racing cyclist uh he's more apt to be found um on a carbon carbon fiber frame.
0: And and so I'm guessing that I don't know if you're familiar with the name Grant Peterson and uh, Rivendell. Sure. Uh, I'm guessing that, that Yehuda would be a big fan. Yeah, he <laughs> yeah,
2: is. Actually, a, a couple of the bags on his bicycle uh, are, are are Rivendell bags.
0: <laughs> awesome. And 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 you know one of the things I've noticed about Yehuda is um, doesn't wear a helmet. Do you ever get any any flack for that?
2: Yeah, there is um there is a couple comments uh uh on the bike forums message board about that. It it got dispelled pretty quick. I, I joked around about that. Um yeah, I've got I've got some opinions about, about the about helmets in general and I think probably Yehuda exudes those uh, opinions and we'll probably be confronting that in the next couple months, uh, in a storyline or two. Um all the other characters, as you'll as you'll see, uh, do wear helmets including Joe, so
0: I like the one where, where the, the, the roadie, the intense roadie went racing past Yehuda and he was wearing a time trial helmet. And Yehuda <laughs> said something like, uh, you know, you, what are you late for your superhero convention?
2: <laughs> yeah. Yehuda's got some strong opinions about the, about the uh, cycling, uh, the racing crowd.
0: No, no. What, what do you think Yehuda would have to say about, about racers and roadies?
2: Well, you know, I really want to explore that, um, that relationship. And, um, and I'll probably do that more through the Joe character because I think he probably, uh, can speak to that better than, um than I can. But basically what I want to do is just play off the, uh, you know, the, the jibes and the conflicts that might take place between those two niches in the bicycling world and, and show how their aspirations and goals differ from one another on the road and, and with equipment and gear and so forth. So that was kind of like the tip of the iceberg with uh Yehuda coming in contact with this uh with this one uh, cyclist who passes him you know every day while he's while he's commuting uh the 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 racer's you know doing a time trial of some sort and and Yehuda's just simply on his way to work and I really want to explore that relationship between the different means of uh, of using the bicycle
0: now is would you say you said that you and Yehuda share some opinions uh, is Yehuda modeled? Uh, on yourself, or are there other people that you've you've encountered that you really modeled the character after?
2: Yeah, I, I think there are elements of Yehuda that are probably uh, me, but but Yehuda is probably more of a, a combination of a number of of both people I've met and and uh, opinions um, in that particular utilitarian, practical cyclist crew um, that I really want to capture, and, and I probably exhibit uh, on the strip using Yehuda.
0: And what about Joe?
2: Joe's uh Joe's probably um best embodied in um how the Roadie crew and uh I, I probably um use a colleague of mine as a model for both his appearance and, and um a lot of his opinions about uh about components and so forth that he, he favors. Uh, you know, a lot of the ship did come out of some of the uh discussions that uh, this colleague and I have had over the last two years, both of us ride to work. Uh, you know, he on a Bianchi and, and I on, a, on a, a really heavy Dutch bike. So we're constantly having these conversations. And to a large extent, a lot of the strip came uh, came out of those conversations, which is kind of cool.
0: So uh, you mentioned a colleague in riding to work. Um, riding a strip is not your day job.
2: No, no, it's, it's my night job. Uh, like you, I, I, I burn the midnight oil. So um, I actually work during the day at an insurance company in Cleveland, Ohio.
0: And and so yeah, it is probably. Like, do you get much sleep? Because I know I don't.
2: <laughs> no,
0: I'm uh, I'm down to about five or six hours now. Hey, that's pretty good I, on a night when I'm <laughs> producing a show. I'm lucky to get two or three. Um, oh boy! Well, who would you say? Well, first of all, what other strips have have you done? What other sorts of and and do you call it cartooning? What do you call your craft?
2: Um, I guess I guess. Uh, I guess I'm a comic book artist or a comic strip artist. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been doing it for, I guess, I've always drawn, but I guess I really got back into it earnestly in uh, 2001. Um, I picked up the pen and, and paper paper then with a series about, um, it was a kind of a whimsical take on what would happen if the devil retired in a small town after his job was done and what kind of trouble he'd get into.
0: What was the name of that?
2: That was uh, Shuck. Um, it was... Um, it was published from 2001 through around 2005, um, both self-published and then with top-shelf productions. And then I did a, a comic strip for a while with, with Shuck, and I liked the format. I liked the whole daily strip format, but I got bored with the story. And so for a year, I took a break and and then came back uh, to the to the format with uh, with Yehuda.
0: And and so tell me a little bit about how the process works, because one of the things I love about Yehuda is is – the the way the characters look, the the detail in in some of the strips. So there was one, I think it was a sunrise, and it was just a beautiful pain. How does the process work? Is this something where you're you're doing one strip per day, or are you doing you know several on a weekend? Take me through the process.
2: Okay. Well, um, first of all, it varies. Um, you know, it depends on on what I feel like doing. I mean, basically, the the development of strip can be broken down into a number of parts. Uh, you got to come up with the with the strip ideas. And I think uh, one thing that, that I should make clear is that even though it's a comic, it doesn't necessarily mean it's always going to be funny. Mm-hmm. In fact, I'm not going to certainly pride myself on all of them being funny, even the ones I'm trying to be. Um, I really want to tell a story a lot of the times, and uh, sometimes I just want to capture a moment that I that I see on a commute, like the sunrise trip that you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of the times um, the first part of it's creating a strip is is actually takes place on the commute itself where, you know, an hour in the work, I'll, I'll be thinking about, let's see, what am I going to do over the next week's worth of strips? And I'll come up with some general plot outlines. And then when I get to work, I'll jot down those. And then in the evening, I'll actually flesh out the dialogue in a notebook I've got um, involving characters and who's going to be in each strip. And then I get it down and edit it to a point where I'm ready to start drawing. And then um, basically, I, I pencil the strip on a, on a strip of Bristol board and ink it and then scan it in the computer. Um, color it using Photoshop, and then publish it to the web. And th- I could either do a strip a day if I feel like doing all of those steps at once, or I could pencil five strips one day and then ink them that the next day and so forth. It, it all depends on what I feel like doing.
0: Do you have uh, formal training in art?
2: I, I took art, art, art classes when I was younger, um, but I, I didn't major in school or, or, or study it formally, Now.
0: And what about influences? Have, have there been comic strips that you've seen over the years that have really weighed on what you're doing right now?
2: Yeah, oh yeah. I I have to say that my biggest influences are probably, um, uh, let's see, Chester Gould, who did Dick Tracy, and Mm. probably his work from the uh, 50s, 60s, and 70s uh, was very influential. His his really thick, fluid line, um, you know, kind of odd characters, I think, probably influenced me as well. Um, modern artists, I probably have to point to folks like James Kolchaka, um, who does the comic strip American Elf. Mm -hmm. And um, um, I guess anyone with uh, kind of like pop art sensibilities, I'd I'd probably put into influences.
0: Hmm. Now, what about the possibility of putting this in print? Is that something that you'd like to see? Uh, Are you just satisfied with having it online? What what are your goals, business goals for, for the strip?
2: I, I would I would love to uh, I would love to put it in print and I probably will considering that I've 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 gone the print route before. Um, it, it, do, putting it online is is a good first step. It, it lets you gauge how many people are interested. Um, it gives you an uh, idea about um, what colors are going to go into it. If you want to do it in black and white or color, depending on the content. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely plan on doing the, um, the strip in uh, in color and in print. I don't know whether I'm going to do a collection of strips every six months or every year. It depends. Um, um, there's a couple on-demand print shops I might experiment with, or I might just go ahead and do what I did with Shock and, and go full print route, where I you know print up a couple thousand copies and, and just offer them online
0: mm.
2: for, for sale.
0: What's been the reaction from cyclists? Uh, obviously, you know you've got you, you've got two very distinct. Characters with distinct opinions about cycling Uh, what have cyclists said to you?
2: Well, first of all, I'm really blown away, but with uh, the great compliments I've gotten both through email and on message boards and so forth I I didn't expect uh, such an overwhelming response so quickly, which is really great And I really appreciate everyone who's written and, and supported the strip um, it just means a lot. It obviously means that I've hit some kind of chord, mm-hmm. and I'm just trying to make sure that I keep that chord. And I want to make sure that I represent both of uh, those major groups, uh, and, and make sure that both Joe and Yehuda have a voice because I think, you know, each of them uh, speak for for a different kind of cyclist. And I want to make sure that I don't I don't favor one over the other too much because I think the I think the play between the two is important. And I want to make sure that 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 uh, that each have their say. Mm.
0: And and what about what what kinds of comments have you gotten from both commuters, uh, you know, and sort of Yehuda type cyclists, and also from the roadies?
2: Well, the roadies actually—it's funny. I I think they were they were most uh, entertained by uh, by that trainer who passed Yehuda and Mm -hmm. who Yehuda yelled at afterwards. I think uh, I think they were amused by the uh, by the relationship that. Uh, you know, true roadies have for uh, practical cyclists or, or folks who you know who load their load their bikes down with about fifty pounds worth of stuff every morning just to right. get to work. Uh, so I think they were amused by that. I think I really want to pursue that um, that angle. And the commuters, I think um, I think they appreciate just um, the idea that their their commutes are being captured in art, in 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 a way that that basically they're able to see themselves in the strip. They're able to see that sunrise. They're able to see you know that tree uh, along the side of the road they're able to see what it feels like to hit a pothole you know mm. and Yehuda basically captured a lot of those moments for them
0: yeah so what if if you can say what's next for Yehuda obviously he's got his issues with the uh the the bike lanes he he went out and painted uh can can you give us a hint of of what's coming in the in the next few days and weeks
2: i want to i want to hit uh i want to hit a couple one-offs again i want i i've got about a week's worth of um uh, non continuity or non sequential type work that I want to do, mm-hmm. so um you know youhoo basically commuting again get get back uh get back onto some commuting strips um, I do need to finish up the bike lane story at least uh at least you know patch it up to the point where there's there's some kind of logical end to it it's a, it's a fine balance between the one offs and the and the sequential work and i'm I'm trying to figure out a balance between those two sure, but then I want to do a series on kids biking and um and why they don't bike as much. I want to do a, the the series on the helmets that you brought up earlier. Um, I definitely want to I want to revisit Fred, the character of Fred, who's the older guy in the shop who hangs out with uh, Joe and Yehuda, uh, in his relationship with the the ghost bike that um, that's parked out front or, or or was parked out front before right. it was removed. Um, and then I want to also introduce a bunch of other um, uh, customers to the shop. You know, folks who who we've all seen or, or heard at, at the bike shop who kind of fit some stereotypes
0: that we're we all kind of laugh at (laughs) and and yes we've all seen those so i'm i'm really looking forward to what you do with the strip in the future i'm i'm reading it every day and and really appreciating it why don't you let people know where they can find uh your strip
2: Uh, they can find it at uh, yehudamoon.com and that's spelled y-e-h-u-d-a moon.com
0: and one final question where'd you come up with the name
2: you know this this name's been with me for I'd say 15 years and I just never attached it to a character and I finally found one so there you go.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Rick, thank you so much for coming on the Fredcast. I really appreciate it and of course we'll put a link in the show notes so people can find Yehudamoon.com. Thanks, David. I have to tell you and I'm I'm sure it comes through in my voice in the interview. I really enjoyed uh, talking to Rick and learning more about the whole process involved in creating Yehuda Moon and I'm looking for well I'm looking forward to seeing what Yehuda does over the the next few months and years. Go ahead and check it out www.yehudamoon.com and thanks again to Rick Smith for taking the time this evening out of his busy schedule to do the interview. Something else that I get very passionate about as many of you know, uh, are gadgets and gizmos and probably the one of the things that I've talked about the most on the fredcast would be gps units and i've talked a lot about the garmin edge product specifically the 305 that i currently own and the 705 which i'm still waiting for garmin to send to me although i know that they're going to soon they're trying to fill those retail channels first well you'll also recall if you were listening to my interbike 2007 coverage that i interviewed the owner of allen sports and he told me about a new product That is right up my alley, specifically a very small Bluetooth GPS device that you can pair with your cell phone in order to get turn-by-turn navigation on your cell phone and also to be able to use outdoors for cycling and hiking or cross-country skiing or what have you. Well, of course, I asked Alex Allen for a sample and I received one, and at the same time I asked Garmin for a sample of their Bluetooth GPS unit, and I want to tell you about both. Now the first thing you need to know is you need to know a little bit about compatibility. Now the Garmin unit, the Garmin Mobile 10, uses a piece of software called Garmin Mobile XT. Now Garmin Mobile XT is compatible with Windows Mobile, Palm, and Symbian devices, and they also have a piece of software called Garmin Mobile for BlackBerry. So there's a fairly wide range of devices that it works with. I tested it on a Palm Trio 700p. So that is a Palm OS device. Meanwhile, on Allen Sports, I tested theirs on a Windows Mobile device, uh, but they are also compatible with a wide range of devices, but they are not compatible with Palm OS. So you may have a Palm Trio, but as long as it has Windows Mobile and not Palm, you'll be able to use the Allen Sports device. Now both Allen and Garmin provide you both 2D street maps as well as 3D street maps. 2D street map would be similar to something that you would get if you went to Google Maps and you were simply looking at a plan view of all of the streets. Whereas a 3D map is a representation of your vehicle traveling down the road and so that in front of you, you would see your next cross street and then the next down the road and so on. Both offer 2D and 3D mapping. However, the way that the maps get on your device is different depending on each device. When it comes to the Garmin, for instance, on my Palm Trio, I inserted an SD card. And what I received from Garmin was actually a micro SD. And since the Palm doesn't accept micro SD, I was given a micro SD adapter so that I was able to put this micro card into my regular SD slot. Meanwhile. On the Allen Navigator, instead of loading the maps onto your device itself so that they're always there, the maps are sent to you over your cellular connection. That means that your maps are constantly updated. And as any of you know who've ever had a handheld or even an in-vehicle, in-dash navigation unit, you know that you will get to some places and it simply won't know about new roads or changes in roads due to construction. On the Allen side, however, you are constantly kept up to date because the maps simply don't reside on your device. Now, of course, Some people have said that that could be a negative if you end up in an area without cell coverage. I didn't end up having that problem. I've read about it on the internet, but for me, it worked just fine. Now, when I tested these units, I set them up side by side, actually quite annoying my wife and family, because I was getting turn-by-turn directions at the exact same time from both units. Uh, A couple of things that I instantly noticed. First of all, both units come with a very small Bluetooth GPS receiver that you simply set up on your dashboard, turn it on, pair it with your phone, and then let it acquire the satellite signals. If you've ever had a GPS before, you know that the acquisition of the satellite signals can vary from unit to unit. I will tell you that my personal experience uh, after several tries in several different states and several different locations was that the Allen Navigator acquired the GPS signal about twice as quickly as the Garmin did when you would do a cold start. In other words, if if I left here in Utah, got on an airplane, ended up in, say, California, turned on both units, that's a cold start because it thinks it's in Utah, and so it has to figure itself out and realize, no, I'm now at Burbank Airport in California. From that cold start, the Allen would acquire in under 30 seconds and it would usually take about double that amount of time for the Garmin to acquire. But still, don't take that as necessarily a negative for the Garmin because 60 seconds to acquire satellites for a GPS unit, especially one this small, is really good. So plus for the Allen in the time of acquisition, but still I think that the Garmin was respectable. Another thing that I immediately noticed about both units is that the bottom of the Garmin has feet on it that are non-slip so that when I set it on a dashboard, it wouldn't go sliding around if I was driving crazy or just if I was taking a, a corner a little bit fast. The Allen, on the other hand, was a little bit slick on the bottom of the GPS unit, and therefore it. While it didn't slide as easily as I expected it to, it did slide more often than the Garmin. Now, that's an easy thing to fix. You could simply put some double stick tape on the bottom or a little bit of Velcro, or a lot of office supply stores sell these very small rubber pads that are used to keep an iPod from slipping on your dashboard. So you could use something like that. So in that case, I'm going to give the positive to the Garmin uh, because I didn't have to buy anything special to keep it from sliding around on the dashboard. As for the size of the two units, the Garmin measures 1.65 by 3.04 by 0.7 inches, whereas the Allen is 3.5 inches by 1.75 inches by 0.5 inches. The bottom line is that they are very close in size. And so in this regard, neither one gets the advantage over the other. Well, let's talk a little bit about software and the differences that I noticed between the two units. First of all, I have to give, I'm going to tell you right off the bat, I'm going to give the definite advantage here to the Allen Sports Navigator unit. I never read a manual. I never even looked at a manual or even to see if I had one in the box. I simply turned on the phone and started navigating. It was that easy. The only place that I found it was a little bit difficult to use, and really not that bad, was when I initially tried to find an address. Uh, But literally, after 60 seconds of trying to figure out, I had it, and I never again had to try to figure it out. Uh, The software worked perfectly, flawlessly. The phone never crashed, and to me that was very important. When it came to turn-by-turn navigating, it worked extremely well. It got me where I needed to go, when I needed to get there, and was very accurate in its directions. Meanwhile, over on the Garmin side, I can't say such good things about their software. I've always found Garmin GPS units to be extremely easy to use. I found their user interface quite intuitive and typically never really needed to read a manual to operate most of the Garmin GPS units I've had. I've had dedicated aviation units. I've had uh, ocean navigation units. I've had uh, handheld units that I've used for geocaching. I've had their uh, their PDA, their Palm PDA uh, IQ product, so I've had a lot of Garmin GPSs and found them very easy to use. Unfortunately, uh, the the software that was built for Palm OS does not follow the typical look and feel and user interface guidelines that most other Palm applications follow. So perhaps if I weren't already used to a lot of Palm applications I wouldn't have had the difficulty that I had with this one. I just found that in trying to make for a simple easy to use application they did the opposite. Granted it was very easy to find an address and find a point of interest and uh, once I did find an address I loved the fact that the Garmin would update local traffic. That was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. That is a definite plus for the Garmin unit over the Allen. But if I wanted to dig down a little bit more and get to more of the details of the software, I found that I had to drill down through several different menus. And oftentimes, where I expected to find something, it was in a completely different area. And so I didn't find that very intuitive at all. However, having said that, Once the Garmin got navigating, and once I got out on the road, it too gave very accurate directions, gave me enough warning every time it needed to give me a vocal command, and I found that to be very good. Another area that I I judged the two units on was how long it took for the GPS software to start up. And once again here, the Allen Navigator definitely gets the nod. Uh, Typically, I would select that piece of software, and it would start almost immediately. Whereas over on the Garmin, there is a definite lag in the amount of time it takes for that application to begin. Another place where there was an advantage to the Allen Navigator over the Garmin was in stability. Now, admittedly, I was using a test phone from Allen that had nothing on it but the base Samsung software and Windows Mobile and the Allen software, whereas my Trio is my day-to-day phone and it has a large number of third-party applications. The Samsung phone, with the Allen Navigator software, never crashed. It was stable like a rock. Meanwhile, over on my trio, I experienced a number of crashes, some of them catastrophic, requiring a hard reset. And if you know anything about Palm, that means you've now zeroed out all your data. And thankfully, none of that happened when I was on a trip and I was able to come right back home to my computer and resync up my Palm. Now, it is, as I said, entirely possible that those crashes were as a result of the third party software on my Palm. However, the reason that I have a Palm and not an iPhone, for instance, is because I rely on third-party software every single day to do my day job. So I do consider that the Palm software from Garmin does need to peacefully coexist with other third-party software out there. At least for me, that didn't happen. Is it possible that the Allen software might have the same problem on Windows Mobile with other third-party software installed? It is. So I don't consider that this is a good comparison. Just a note of caveat emptor. One of the things that's important in any street turn-by-turn navigation device is that should you make a wrong turn, in other words, if you don't listen to that little voice coming out of that little box, how quickly and how accurately will the device be able to do rerouting? And here, both devices shined equally. They both noticed that I didn't make the turn or I made the wrong turn uh, very, very quickly and rerouted me uh, extremely well and very quickly, almost without missing a beat. So here again, both units are equally as well adept at rerouting. Now of course, each company's product does have its own little special pluses that are available. Over on the Garmin side, using your over-the-air internet service, it's able to provide you with dynamic content like real-time traffic, weather, fuel prices, very important these days, and also hotels.com data. So if you're out and about and you're on a business trip or a family trip and you need to find a hotel, you're able to get that data right there on your Garmin. Meanwhile, over on the Allen Sports side, they do something very interesting. They have the ability for you, of course, to get... all the points of interest information that you can also get on the Garmin, but also they interface with Google Maps. So you're able to update your location on Google Maps and update previous locations for yourself or provide a link to others so that they can follow your progress when you're out there driving around. A little bit Big Brother-ish, but also very cool, something I would definitely use if I had. And of course, you know I would use that traffic data available over on the Garmin. Now... Why am I even talking about PDA GPS units here on the FredCast? Why is this something that is important to me? Well, I've talked about before the fact that I love convergence, the ability to just have one device that can give me everything that I want to do. One of the reasons I'm so optimistic about the iPhone in the future is the ability to have GPS and music and telephone and all those other devices all in one handheld item. And I was kind of hoping that I would be able to do the same thing with a PDA and a little Bluetooth GPS. Allen Sports told me that they are working on a new system, which they are going to be letting me test coming up here shortly, for outdoor activities. And this is called Active Outdoor. And just like I can get street-level mapping over the air on a Windows mobile device or other compatible device with the Allen Sports Navigator, I'll also be able to get topographic maps, which is really useful for hiking and, guess what, mountain biking. And they'll be able to track all of those metrics that are, interest, that are of interest to us cyclists and hikers and mountain bikers, so that we'll be able to track speed data and average speed and distance and all those things that we track. I'm waiting still for that unit. When I get it, I'll let you know. Meanwhile, I was able to take Garmin's Topo maps off of one of the Topo CDs that I had from Garmin, and I was able to put those into my trio and follow along as I went hiking one day in the hills near my house. However... It does not store a track that I can track back with, as I can on a regular uh, outdoor GPS, nor does it track all of those metrics that I'm interested in. So if you're looking for a good turn-by-turn direction GPS for driving in the car, as well as some rudimentary outdoor data, you can get that on the Palm. But I'm looking forward to seeing what Allen Sports is able to provide with their new Active Outdoor. At the end of the day, between the two units, Well, I think it's pretty obvious because of the stability and because of the ease of use of the software, I am partial to the Allen Sports unit. However, I've got a Palm phone and so for me, the only unit that I would be able to use would be the Garmin Mobile 10. If I was able to troubleshoot and track down the reasons why I was having stability issues, I think that it would be a unit that I would use, except for me. Even though I am very technical, I wasn't able to track down those units, and while I would very much like to keep a, a GPS unit that I could use with my phone, unfortunately, I am sending this one back to Garmin, because those stability issues were too catastrophic for me when they occurred to be able to keep the unit for myself. Remember, your mileage may vary depending on the amount of third-party software that you have on your device, and whether you're using the, the GPS, the Garmin Mobile 10, with Mobile XT software on a Palm device or Windows Mobile or a Symbian. I didn't test Windows Mobile with Garmin. It's quite possible that it's just as stable as it was with the Allen Sports unit. I have put a link in the show notes to where you can get more information both from the Allen Sports and Garmin websites and also to the Amazon.com buy links. I hope that you've found this interesting and useful. Again, as soon as I've got the Garmin Edge 705, and as soon as I've got the Allen Sports Active Outdoor Units, I'll be bringing you those reviews as well. Now, if you are looking for someplace to drive now that you've got that new GPS unit, it's going to give you those great turn-by-turn directions, how about beautiful Sedona, Arizona? Because on Saturday, May the 3rd, at 8 a.m., hundreds of cyclists from around the country are going to converge on the Old Town Mission in historic Old Town Cottonwood near Sedona for the 10th Annual Sedona Century Bike Tour. Now, you don't have to do the full 100 miles. You can do 33 miles, 47 miles, or the century. And this is a major fundraising event to benefit the vital outreach programs of the Old Town mission. If you've never been to Sedona, this is probably going to be a great way to see it. May is a great time to go to Sedona, and this would benefit a great cause and be what appears to me to be a wonderful event. Go ahead and check it out. I've put a link in the show notes. Well, that is almost it for tonight's show. But before we go, just a couple of notes on how you can stay in contact with the Fredcast. A lot of you have found our Twitter feed. Twitter is a service that provides you with short 140-character messages that simply answer the question... What are you doing? And so you'll get all sorts of messages about what I'm doing, what's going on with the show, and what's going on in the world of cycling. There are a couple of ways that you can subscribe to my Twitter feed. You can go to twitter.com fredcast and subscribe there, or you can send a text message with your cell phone to 40404 with the words follow fredcast. Remember, regular text messaging rates do apply. And there is a link in the show notes. Of course, you can send me an email with text or audio comments. And the email address is thefredcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to send an audio comment another way, you can call the Fredcast listener hotline. And by the way, for those of you who didn't know, this is a completely new number. For the last several months, I've been announcing this number, but apparently some of you are still using the old 206 area code number. The correct number now is area code 435 258 6 fred or 435-258-6373. Or if you're on Skype, you can try me at the fredcast. And if I'm not there, I do have voicemail and you can leave your message for me there. And of course, any time of the day or night, go ahead and visit the website. I'm trying to update that information more and more every day. The website is www.thefredcast.com. And with that, it is time for tonight's Podsafe Cycling Music. Tonight's music comes to us from IOTA PromoNet, as it has for the last couple of weeks. I put a link in the show notes to the IOTA PromoNet website, as well as links to tonight's artist on iTunes, Amazon, and their own artist info on the PromoNet website. Tonight's artist is one you've probably heard of before. They do have a new album. This is Toto, and the song is called King of the World. So between this week and next, I want to thank all of you for being a part of the Fredcast community, for staying subscribed, for telling your friends and family to listen to the show. Between this week and next, I hope you enjoy this music, but most of all, enjoy the ride.